We appreciate our worship team so much and all that they do to help us go into the presence of God each and every week. We're extremely, extremely blessed. I want to ask you to stand up together with me right now. We're not going to read a text initially. I'm holding my main text for a little bit later in the message today. What a privilege it is for me to be here and to be on all different sides of Father's Day. First, my communion and relationship that I have with the Heavenly Father because of being born into His family. Secondly, to have my dad with us here today as always. And we're very thankful. Me and my family are very thankful. And then lastly, I've got four of my six children floating abroad through the sanctuary somewhere. And we are so glad of that as well. But beyond that, I am... As, as precious as that is to me. Uh, today, my heart feels a great passion and compassion for men to see them become all that God has called them to be. You know, our prisons are filled with men that were raised without fathers. Studies have shown us that 70% of men that are in prison due to violent crimes were raised in homes without a father. What would happen across our nation if there was just such a move of God and men just rose up and took their rightful place? You know, assume the place and assume the position that God intended for them to be. Even if it wasn't fully esteemed in the lives of their children or their grandchildren or their spouse as of yet, especially because if there was a breach. Let me tell you, man, the one thing that you can do is you have to start somewhere. You can't go back and repair everything that's been broken. You can do your best to repair some things, and you should. But you're going to have to start somewhere. You're going to have to begin to move towards that place and that position and that relationship and those relationships that God wants you to have. So I feel greatly privileged to have the opportunity to speak to the men. And I know, ladies, as I've said, I, I, I'm being very um, upfront, uh, fortright, or what is it, fort forthright with you today. I'm, I'm speaking to men. I'm just being honest. I'm, I've got a word for these guys today. And, and I'm going to trust they're going to have the courage to come forward and have a small gift for them at the end of the service today. So let's pray. Let's ask. You know, I've been praying for the latter couple of days. And my prayer, my affection, and my attention has been, God, that you would prepare me. But you know, something shifted in my heart as I was praying this morning before service in my office and I said, God, but now I want to begin. I feel prepared. I feel adequately prepared to minister to you today. But my prayer is that you're prepared, guys, to receive the word. You know, there's a lot of activities that can distract you. Not all of those activities are evil. Sometimes they're good. But at the same time, this is a sacred moment. This is a moment that God has given us. And I want you to, I want you to have a tentative you know, spiritual ears today and let the Holy Spirit speak directly to your heart. Father, I love you and I'm blessed to be here, to be a pastor, to be, uh, Father, a man among men, God, in the name of Jesus, and to have great opportunity to speak to this congregation today. Lord, certainly above, Father, I pray you bless these precious ladies that have come out and have, Father, allowing me a moment to speak, even kind of past them and around them, God, to speak directly to the men of this fellowship. And I pray, Lord, you would bless them greatly. God, bless every listening ear today, but especially the men among us. And let this word not fall, Father God, on deafened ears, but on a heart that's prepared and ears that are receptive to your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said...
you know, for just a moment of time, I have to, you know, uh, not necessarily I want in any wise turn this into a political sermon. That's not my intention to do so. But, you know, there's a difficulty of being a man in a unisex society. And unfortunately, in my personal opinion, you can exercise your opinion as well, but the American culture has become blurred by the distinction in the sexes. And it's more difficult to discover and to fulfill defined roles as it once was. Now, I understand being a semi-student of Scripture, I understand that there are passages in Scripture that speak to neutral gender. I understand that. There are passages, you know, we were in the middle of a school, summer school of the Spirit. One of the great promises of the summer school of the Spirit is He would pour His Spirit out on all flesh. You know, God would make no distinction between men and women. He would pour His Spirit out and the Holy Spirit would come upon all of us. I understand that the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Galatians and he said there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, or bond nor free. And, but I also understand the context in which that was made, and it is in the context of relationship and sonship and favor. And God doesn't favor men over women, nor does he favor women over men. God is gracious to all who come to him by faith. Come on, he is, and we know him to be so. He is not a, uh, a father with favorites. All of God's children are his favorites. Come on now, you believe that? But at the same time, Scripture has from the very beginning clearly defined roles in men and women and husbands and wives. It's biblical from the Genesis forward all the way throughout the New Testament epistles. And I have to believe that partly the reason behind, you know, I'm, I'm kind of guessing what was in the heart and the mind of God when he established this order, is that the objective in the Scriptures is to create spiritual leadership in men. Because the health of the family, the family seems to be, by the law of average, more healthy uh, when men take their rightful place. That's why when Moses had a revelation from God and he spoke to the children of Israel, oddly enough, he spoke to the men, to the family. He spoke to the men, to the nation. Deuteronomy 6, let me just read this. It says, now these are the commandments, these are the statutes, these are the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you go to possess it. Now listen who he's writing to or speaking to. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou, which I command thee, thou, thy son, and thy son's sons, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. So Moses is speaking to the nation, but in order to speak the word to the nation, he targets the family unit. And in targeting the family unit, he starts with the men. He starts with the gray-haired man first, and then he speaks to the, uh, the, 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 their sons, and then to their grandchildren, speaking a word concerning prolonging their uh, their longevity in the land of promise. 1 Corinthians 11 and 3, Paul is writing, and it says here, I would you know, he said, I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. 
it doesn't in any wise take away again from a woman's rightful relationship and communion with God. Again, God is not setting precedence in favor and grace, but he's setting, he's setting priority and he's setting certain positions in defined roles. It goes on to say in 1 Timothy 3, for Adam was first formed and then Eve. Often if you're a student, a student of scripture, you'll find the apostle Paul, when he addressed marriage issues, family issues, he went right to the men first. He said, man, you got to love your wife. Why did I not get a huge amen from the ladies in this church? Ladies, I said I was preaching around you, but that doesn't mean you're thinking about other things. I need you engaged here today. He's talking to the men and the first priority and responsibility that he gives to the husbands is husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. You say, well, I want my husband to have a pattern of how to love me the way I ought to be loved. Well, what pattern does God give us? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Come on now. And so we're to nurture our wives, provide for our wives, even give ourselves to our wives, and don't be bitter against them. But then he speaks to the fathers. He says, men, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. That does not mean that you cannot occasionally embarrass them. That's healthy for a man with six children. But you got to know right at the edge when it gets too far. Don't provoke them unto wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You know, men, take your role, take your leadership. You know, you set the example. You pray with your children. Come on, you read the scriptures to your children. You know, don't, don't depend upon, you know, uh, television programs to, to teach our children the word of God. Men, you, that's what the word, so the reason why I could go on and on with verses and passages of scripture that are speaking directly to men in their role in the relationship, but I only chose just a couple just to just kind of confirm the principle God is speaking to men. So men, for a few minutes before I really get into the heart of my text, before I begin to unlock some things here today and share with you a great revelation that God gave me, I just want to drop just a couple of eggs exhortations down in your spirit. Just real quickly, this is just the warm-up to the meat of the message. I guess this is the appetizer. These are just things that cause I have you for this uh, captured moment, captured audience for a few minutes. Let me just drop these down in your spirit real quickly, that for you to be the man God's called you to be, no matter what kind of family you find yourself in, whether you're divorced or whether you're single or whether you are happily married for many years, whether you're a granddad like myself and then a dad, no matter where you are in this journey that we call life. These are just some nuggets I want to drop down in your spirit today that will help you be the man God has called you to be. And that is, first of all, men, hear this exhortation. It's in Ephesians 5 and 18. It says, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Come on, guys, you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm not necessarily preaching about that today, but I'm telling you when the Holy Spirit is active in your life and you're learning to yield to his great grace and empowerment, it changes your life because there are things that you're asked to do that you can't do in and of yourself. You know, we face different types of enemies than they did in Bible days, but we, are, we learn through their examples and we learn to, to do things and show emotions and form relationships that we could not do if the Holy Spirit was not working in our lives. You know, Samson could tear the gate off of a, a city wall, 
bronze gates, hundreds, even thousands of pounds, and carried them on his shoulder and placed them on a hill. And he couldn't do it of natural ability alone. He couldn't do it of natural ability at all. It took the supernatural power of God. You know how I can love my wife as Christ loved the church? Because I can love her by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells on the inside of me. You know how I can love my children and teach them and admonish them and encourage you? It's because of the power of the Holy Spirit who's on the inside of me. Listen, guys, I know we live in a culture where at least some people are cognitively aware of the need to be in shape, and we live in the muscle fitness generation. I've already semi-embarrassed my sons about that, and I will not do so today. But let me tell you, it's not enough just to have flexing muscles on the outside. You need a power that's on the inside. Come on, you need uh, the Holy Spirit working in you. Number two, men, I want to just challenge you today. You need to know the Word of God. You need to study the Word of God. One of Jojo's favorite passages is in Joshua 1 and 8. It says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate day and night. You will observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. Guys, you've got to set your heart to know the Word of God. You got it. Well, I feel really, uh, man, thanks for all that great response right there. Let me back it. I must be talking too fast. Guys, you've got to set your heart to understand the Word of God. Now, I hear a lot of excuses, especially among men. Well, I don't understand it. But now, see, I find a little hypocrisy in that statement because the men that I know, can make, they can repair anything from automobiles to air conditioners to washer and dryers and even computers. They study the stock market and money exchanges and investment portfolios. They can operate heavy equipment. Some can fly airplanes under the sound of my voice. You know, some can plan a hunting trip months in advance. Some can navigate a GPS, be in the middle of hundreds of thousands of acres of wilderness and know exactly where they are according to coordinates. Some can immediately search and interact from their iPhone anywhere that they are in the world. Some can name all the players off their favorite sports team including where they're from, (laughs) their statistics, what they ate for breakfast that morning. Come on now. Some under the sound of my voice, you could coach the spread offense. You graduated from college. You study and you choose political candidates and political parties. And before this day is out, you might even for your family grill a ribeye steak to perfection. Finally, an amen. I knew I was. (laughs) But you can't understand the word of God that's written in a way that children can know God? Come on, I'm tired of those excuses. Man, you've got to man up on this. Get your heart right. Say, God, I will read this word until I understand this word. When I was in the military, they didn't ask whether or not I could understand. They put the manual in my hand and said, get to know it. It's your responsibility you got to get to know the Word of God. That's good preaching here today. Number three, just nuggets. This ain't got anything to do with my text. Learn how to pray. 
I know prayer is awkward at first. I know you get around people like me that are trained in King James English. Dear Heavenly Father, I beseech you in the name of Jehovah God, I come to you beseeching and be thouing and be quitting and all those things, and you don't have a clue what I'm saying, and I understand that. But that means you got to just get along with God and work this thing out. Come on, you got to just get along with God. If you just start just saying, God, Daddy, I don't know how to talk to you, but I'm going to stay here long enough until I feel like I'm establishing communion with you. Come on now. Come on, we got to get it down in our heart. 1 Timothy 2 and 8 says this, I would that men would pray everywhere. This is not the general sense of men and women as humanity. Matter of fact, right past this passage, Paul speaks to women. It's their role in the church. Here he says, men, this is your responsibility. Man, my God, what would happen at first assembly of every day? Men begin to pray everywhere with holy hands lifted high, without wrath or doubting, calling upon the name of God. In days gone by, we've depended upon the women of this church and churches all across America to be intercessors. But God said, I'm looking for a man to stand in the gap and to make up the hedge. I'm looking for a man who will lift this voice up. I'm looking for a man who will know how to trust me and believe God for blessing on their family. The effectual, fervent, unceasing prayer of a righteous man makes much power available. Man, what a privilege you have to pray and call upon the name of God. Number four today, men, you need to learn to lead. And I mean learn because it is a process. If you think you're a born leader, then probably you are moving into some type of, uh, you know, abusive, potentially abusive or too forceful of type of status in your family. Because to, learn, to lead the way God wants you to lead is not the way you need to lead when you're in the army or the way you run your business as a CEO. You need to lead like Jesus wanted you to lead. And it's called servant leadership. He said, if you want to be the greatest among everybody, you need to be the servant among everybody. Come on now. Me and your family, are, they're waiting for you to lead them towards God by example. They're waiting for you. Your sons and daughters are looking to you. Men, if you could ever realize this, that your children can get no greater picture of who God is in the natural. When Jesus was here, he was the clearest picture of God the world had ever seen. But he is now gone. He's left his spirit. But in the natural, the next clearest picture of God that your children could ever see can be in the heart and the life of a godly father. Men lead by example. And lastly, number five, real quickly, just nuggets to drop in your spirit today. Things that I just wanted to say to you as a man to man. Learn to submit. Learn to lead, but learn to submit. Submit to the spiritual leaders. The Bible says in Hebrews 13 and 15 that we're to submit to spiritual leaders who watch for our souls. You know, everybody, everybody needs to be accountable to somebody. And even as a pastor, I'm accountable to others. And, and I want to encourage you as a man, you need to submit to spiritual leaders who watch for your soul, but you also need to submit to other men in the context of accountability. There is a book that I have, have gleaned from in the past, and it's entitled, Why Men Hate Going to Church. It's the name of it. Why do men, and it was written from the context that for whatever reason in the American culture, that, that the, the church and all the activities and the look and the design of everything started to lean towards feminism rather than the masculine side of men. 
Now, even challenge Shane, he and I, oftentimes we look at songs closely because what we, we even found songs that were written just a little too soft and, and that things that might need to be sung in private to God but maybe in the public setting because sometimes we, we need to keep men in an environment because we want the men to be engaged in our fellowship and actively involved. And this book culminated with saying, what are men's two greatest needs? After the, the, the author took us through ups and downs of all different types of dialogue instructions, he, he brought it to just two little simple basic needs, the greatest needs in the lives of men. Number one is to have a spiritual father, to have somebody who has sown into your life, Somebody beyond even pastors. I can't be a spiritual father in essence to everybody. Deeply intimate. So I have to have men among us who will father other men. And that's one of the greatest needs in our lives. Somebody who has an anointing and, and, and a privileged position that can come over us and around us and put that arm over our shoulders and, and lift us up and hold us up. And number two, we need a band of brothers. Come on, we need men that we can get in the foxhole with. Come on, we need men that life brings us together and we form side-by-side relationships with. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man is sharpened by the countenance of his friend. We need these in our lives, men, and we have to be putting ourselves in position. I understand submission and accountability uh, as, a, as a man is such a great need, but it is often the thing that we neglect the most. I've discovered in just being around the men of the church that men would rather live handicapped oftentimes or they would attempt to hide their weakness and their vulnerability than to reveal it to someone else who might possibly help them. I don't know whether that's pride or fear. I'm not for sure, but I know that it's not God, designed by God. God has put people in the body that are dependent upon. Come on, connected. Are y'all with me out there, guys? Listen, the song said, brother, let me be your shelter. I know it's vertical and it's God saying that downward. But it's also horizontal because there is that place that we have to have relationship with other men. You know, one of the, my favorite, uh, you know, if I could say heroes of the Bible was David. Not just after he became king, but when he was the little, what we call the shepherd boy. We all know that he won great fame and fortune and notoriety in Israel when he fought a solitary battle. No man stood in the valley of Elah with him that day to wage warfare against Goliath. He won that battle by the power of God. But you know, later, later, before David became the king, he was running from his life from Saul who was filled with bitterness and jealousy. And he was in the wood, the Bible says, the strongholds in the woods. He was fearful for his very life. Because see, when people are trying to take your life every day, it weighs and weighs and weighs and weighs emotionally and anxiety, knowing that every day you walk around this hillside here in the rooked jags of that, of that Judean wilderness that he could walk around a little turn in, you know, in the hills and there would be a band of Saul's soldiers ready to kill him. The pressure of that began to mount. He began to doubt who he was. He began to doubt his calling. He began to doubt whether or not he would ever eventually become king. And then one day he heard the sound of a horse as it made its way to the stronghold. And as he looked from the mouth of the stronghold, he saw his blood brother Jonathan on that horse. And Jonathan dismounted, ran over to him, and two men in blood, co in blood covenant together, they, re they, they reunited their friendship and their relationship. And the Bible says that Jonathan strengthened than David's hand in God. See, guys, we 
got to have men around us that when we're, we, are, we are at our lowest point, we're discouraged and we're downcast and we're doubting who we really are, we got to have somebody that can come alongside us and say, lift up your eyes, trust in who God is. I'm here for you, brother. The song said, brother, let me be your shelter. You can call on me. I'll be there for you. We need fellowship and bonds in the church that unite us together as men. Come on, that's a good word right there. The apostle Paul was mighty in the spirit. You know he was mighty in the spirit. When they're taking handkerchiefs off his body, and Sherry takes my handkerchiefs and washes them. They took the handkerchief off of Paul's body and put them on demon-possessed people. Come on, and, and people were sick, were healed miraculously. So he was mighty in the spirit. But listen what he wrote by his own pen. He said, when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were fightings and inside were fears. Men, have you ever been that way? Outside is just chaos and confusion. Maybe in your home, maybe in your job. And inside, people think you're strong, but on the inside, you're weak. Inside are fears. He said, but nevertheless, God that comforted those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. One man came with a word of encouragement and lifted the countenance of the aged apostle and said, Paul, keep on serving God. God's watching over you. You're going to make it through this. I'm telling you, we got to have fellowship like this. We're going to turn to our text today. Those were free. They weren't. This, that's just the introduction. We're going to go right to our text here today. I want to show you something. We're just going to follow it down verse by verse. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 10. Something that my eye caught when I was in just reading the scriptures one day. I'm not going to tell you how I found this passage of scripture because it might reveal certain things about the pastor that you don't know. I chose my sermon by just opening the Bible, and there it was. I said, wow, that looks great for Father's Day. I'm going with that. I didn't mean for it to happen that way. It just happened. I saw it, and there it was. So I said... Okay, you know, if you discover gold and you see it, you know, come on, take it. Come on, I saw it. I, I mean, you know, I wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed, but I wasn't the dullest one either. Second Samuel 10, let's just read this. Let's just read it. It came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died. Now, the Ammonite people were the descendants of Lot and his incestuous relationship back in the book of Genesis right after the destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the nephew of Abraham. And there was ups and downs in the relationships between the children of Amnon and the Israelite people. And sometimes they were in peace and sometimes they were in, you know, um, contention. Now, David is now king and he hears about this. So he hears about the king. It seems to imply that David had a good relationship with the king of Ammon, because he has died. But his son is now reigning in his stead. And so David, when he hears about it, he said, I will show kindness unto Hanan. These are kind of, uh, uh, Hanan, these are, the, these are kind of oriental customs. And so I'll send, I'll show kindness. Uh, and, the, and his son, Nahash, he said, as his father showed kindness unto me. And, and so, you know, it's this kind of reciprocation. His father has shown me kindness, and so even though now he's deceased, you know, I'll show kindness to his children, and I, that's part of covenant. Remember the covenant between God or between David and, and Jonathan? He said, between me and my seed and your seed forever. So, so that was, it seems to be a pure motive in David's heart, doesn't it? So he said, let's go here, and he said, so David sent to comfort him. So he sent, you know... Um, 
a convoy, some, some type of group of men, perhaps with gifts in their hands, certainly with condolences uh, from the king unto, uh, you know, the, the, this new uh, monarch. And so David's servants came into the land of the children of Amnon. So that's where we're at in the second verse. But it says, but the princess of the children, now look at this, of Amnon said unto Hanun their lord, thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father? He sent comforters unto thee. Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? So they're, they're, they're supposing that David has a military motivation, that he has plotted against the city and by sending this little group of men on the outside, they look like comforters, but rather they're suggesting that they're actually spies to spy it out, discover the weaknesses in the city, and that they will come one day to overthrow it and take it. So when, Han- when, when, when then Hanan took David's servants, so the son of the king, who is now the king, takes David's servants, and look what he did. He shaved, he shaved off ha- one half of their beards. Now, if you know anything about that Oriental Middle Eastern culture, a beard was very important to men. Come on. Oh, God. So I know sometimes I'm way out there in front of y'all, but we need to close the gap here today, people, okay? Work with me on this. So, you know, and so he cut it half off to shame them because it wasn't going to grow back overnight. And so they were going to be, I mean, they're going to walk around in that particular moment or at least be brought out of the city, you know, kind of as in bonds. Uh, I'm sure they could eventually arrive where they would shave their entire faces if they wanted to, but then that in and of itself could be, you know, looked upon negatively when they arrived back into their own nation. And then not only did, did they do that, but they took their clothes and cut, cut them off right at the britches. The hello, somebody. You know, they kind of made them like, have you ever been in the hospital and seen things you didn't want to see when somebody was walking down the hall? Yes, thank you. That's kind of what was... That, that kind of is what was, had taken place here. And it was all done to shame these men. You know, and, uh, but you know, I thought about that for a moment. It just seems like that the enemy, our adversary, is attempting to shame a manhood in our culture today. To shame it. Seems like we have men in our culture that seem to have our garments cut to the buttocks and our, our beards are shaved or half shaven. But you know what? I came to serve notice on the devil today. There's a lot of men whose beards are growing back. Come on, like Samson of old. Come on, you know, they shaved his locks, the seven locks off of his head, but they made a mistake when they didn't put him to death. They locked him into that, you know, that, that grist meal to grind, but while he was grinding meal, his, beard, or his hair was growing. And I'm telling you, there's a, there's a movement. I'm telling you, God is awakening some men, and some are under the sound of my voice that realize that delicate balance that God wants us as men to, to, to possess and be the men God's called us to be. And so, uh, so David hears about it, and he said, well, you know what? He said, tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown. Now, I could preach all over that verse of Scripture right there, but I'll just let that go today. And the sixth verse, though, is where the story transitions, and that's where I want you to begin to look at it with me for just a moment. So when the children of Amnon saw that they stank before David, the children of Amnon said, you know what? We can tell. We know what we have done has been the spark that's going to cause a conflict. So they began to gather other forces because they know that when David hears about this, David's a man of blood. David's a man of warfare. David does not. He doesn't back down from a fight. Listen, if you got the courage to fight a nine-foot-nine giant with nothing but a leather sling and a rock, 
Come on, you, are, you will, you know, he said, I will, by my God, I'll run through a troop. By my God, I'll leap up over a wall. So when he heard about him shaming his servants, I tell you what, it aroused a, a righteous indignation. And men, we ought to have a righteous indignation of what's going on in our American culture today. Our unisex culture that's being created where we're celebrating transgender and, and all things are going on. And Bruce Jenner's now Caitlin. It's crazy that we've got going on. But we need a generation of men that rise up and say, we're not playing any of that. We're going to be who God has called us to be unashamedly. And so David said, all right, we're going to, he heard about, so the Ammonites, they start preparing war and they're hiring the Syrians to come and help them. And so in the seventh verse, when David heard about it, he sent Joab, who was the captain of his army and all the host with the mighty men. I'm telling you, God's got some mighty men. God's raising up some men of valor. That's what I preached last year, mighty men of valor. You're still here. You're still in the army. You're still serving God. You're still growing. If you're loving God, and loving your family, you're doing exactly what God's called you to do. If you're standing against the spirit of the age, if you're praying against the ungodliness in our culture, if you're resisting the hypocrisy and the spiritual apostasy that's in our land today, then the mighty men are still here. We're still wetting our sword. We're still ready to do and to be what God's called us to do and to be glory to his name. And so God, David said, man, let's get these men together. And so the eighth verse, then the children of Amnon came out and they put the battle in array. You know how they did it in those days? You know, they put the battle on one side of a field and they put the other, or they put the army on one side of the field and they put the other army, the opposing army, on the other side. And sometimes they would stay that way and camped against each other for days on end. And here's what it says with Joab. Now, notice this, though. So Joab, who's the captain, Joab notices something because he's been placed over this military campaign by David. Now, Joab is David's nephew, and he's famous in Israel for capturing the city of Jerusalem. If you'll go and you'll study it out, Joab actually penetrated the city of Jerusalem when it was in the hands of the Jebusites. He didn't go from the outside in. He went from the inside out. He crept up a water shaft. He crept up a water shaft, made his way up a well, and then went and opened the gate so that the Israelites could come into the city. Because David said, whoever gets there first is going to be captain. And Joab said, I want to be captain. And he became famous in all of Israel. And so he's a part, he's a head of one part of the army, and he takes, or he's the actual captain of the army, but he takes his brother Abishai. Now Abishai is famous in Israel for fighting 300 men by himself. Doesn't even tell us there was a sword or a spear in his hand. Nothing but the power of God. And he fought 300 men and he became famous in Israel. So Joab's going to go and he's going to fight with one army and then he's going to send Abishai that's going to go and fight with the other. But he, he sees this and he says, look, he said the battle is in front of him and behind him. The battle's in front of him and behind him. And so in the 10th verse, which I've already said what the 10th verse says, he's put them in ray against the children of Amnon. But then he says something. Before he sends Abishai to go off and to fight with the Ammonites, he said this to him. So this is wisdom that begins to emerge in the leadership of Joab because he's an experienced warrior. By this time, he's a veteran of combat and military leadership, and he speaks by wisdom. And I love this. This got down in my spirit as I thought about this. He said, notice this. He said, Abishai, you take your army and you go that way, and I'm going this way. But he said, let's always keep our eye on one another because if the Syrians are too hard for me, then I want 
you to stop doing what you're doing and you come help me. And I'll keep one eye this direction and if the enemy, the Ammonites, are too hard for you, I'll stop fighting the Syrians and I'll come down and I'll help you. And I thought to myself, my God, that's the kind of relationships that we need in the church so that if I find myself about to be overwhelmed by my adversary, by the struggle of my flesh, that I got somebody I can pick the phone up at any time, day or night, and say I need somebody to stand with me and help me fight against my adversary. Sometimes, men, you got to just have the courage to say, brother, help me. I need somebody. That word help in the Hebrew means to reach out to, to extend the hand to, to secure and to help. Before I close today, Joab said one final thing. And they had had conversations between each other, Joab and Abishai. But just before the armies were about to divide, one would go one way and one would go the other. One would fight the Syrians, one would fight the Ammonites. Joab did what other military commanders had done previously and what has been done in history many times over. He gave them just a charge just a charge. And anybody that was ever in the military, and some of you fought on battlefields, you may remember that your commanding officer giving you a charge. Now, we, if we've ever been involved in sports, our coaches have attempted to try to give us that motivational speech, and often they'll use military language. But I don't care how you want to, you know, make it out. Somebody with a, a helmet and shoulder pads coming at me is not the same as somebody with a rifle and a bayonet. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And, and so I, I'm not even going into that sports world today, but I, but I thought about that for a moment. Before we read this charge, because that's where I'm about to close is this charge, I thought to myself, how important is that? Because sometimes that's the final word that you hear before you launch into this campaign. That's the final exhortation. See, that contest that day was not a contest with rules and restrictions. It was a live-or-die battle. It was freedom through victory. It was slavery through defeat. To win would be to continue to serve Yahweh God. To be defeated would to have, be forced to bow before others idols. And so it was, you know, as, as we see even to today, religious conviction is often at the core of our military campaigns because deep within it's our faith that moves us. And so before I even for a moment connect to Joab's brief exhortation, let me remind you of some great moments in history where men have challenged. And I was reading and reflecting back at, during World War II when, uh, when Britain had been brought in and ushered into the war because of the Nazi advancement. And the French government had abandoned Paris and the Battle of France was over. But the Battle of Britain was about to begin. And they openly, and, and, and uh, it, it was... Um, Oh, help me at my losses. Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill that gave this charge. And I want to share it with you today because it just resounded in my spirit as he charged the British people. He said, let us therefore brace ourselves to our duty and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, he said, let men look back and say that was their finest hour. Can you imagine those words resounding in the ears of every person who would enter into that conflict? George Patton was known for his brief and direct and even oftentimes a, a very uh, uh, profanity-filled speeches, but he was a, 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 he was a 
He was a commander who led by example. And in one speech before he concluded and sent his men out to battle, notice the words that he said. He said this, if you need me, you can always find me in the lead tank. But perhaps one that just stands out, and I'm going to make a comparison to this in just a moment, and you're going to understand why I brought this into the fray. But I want you to hear this today because this was Patrick Henry, the culmination of his speech before the Continental Congress, urging Congress to go ahead and to enter into conflict with Great Britain to start the American Revolution. His words have motivated many for the last 200 years and they need to resound in our ears today because we have a day in our culture when we have a different enemy that we're fighting but the enemy is ever much just as real. They tell us, sir, that we are weak, unable to cope with such a formidable adversary. But he said, but when shall we be stronger? Will it be next week? Will it be next year? Will it be when we are totally disarmed and when a British guard shall be stationed in every house? Shall we gather strength by irresolution and inaction? Shall we acquire the means of effectual resistance by laying supinely on our backs and hugging the delusive phantom of hope until our enemies shall have bound us hand and foot? Sir, we are not weak if we make the proper use of those means which God, the God of nature, has placed in our power. Three million men uh, armed in the holy cause of liberty and, and in such a country as which we possess are invincible by any force which our enemy can stand against us. The church united, men being who God's called us to be, are invincible against any conflict. Besides, sir, he said, we shall not battle our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations, who will raise up friends to fight our battles for us. The battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, it is to the active, and it is to the brave. Besides, sir, we have no election. If we were base enough to desire it, it is now too late to retire from the contest. There is no treat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged. Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable, and Patrick Henry cries out, and let it come. I repeat, sir, let it come. It is in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry peace and peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear? Is peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I I know not what course others may take, but as for me, Patrick, Hem uh, pa Patrick uh, uh, Ham Henry, there's too many of them. Patrick Henry closes this great speech with these words, Forbid it, Almighty God, I know not what course others may take, but as for me, I need men who can hear this today because there's a battle in our land for the soul of the church and the soul of our country and we need men to rise up. He said, as for me, he said, give me liberty or give me death. It's a powerful word that shaped the American revolution. It charged men into battle to withstand the tyranny of Great Britain. On that fateful day long ago, listen, before we close, on that fateful day long ago, I'm sure that Joab was not as eloquent as Winston Churchill. And he certainly was not as eloquent as Patrick Henry. But let me say this today. When we read Joab's words, oh, how they speak to our hearts today, men. 
Look at this final charge. I don't know, did he run up and down the lines? I don't know if he took his sword and tapped the sword of every foot soldier who was drawing a sword. I don't know if he took his horse and rode around every chariot that day, but I hear the echo of his words in my spirit today as if I were standing in that army long years ago. Joab, by the strength and the courage of God, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit on his life, looked at the men in his army and Perhaps he could see fear in their eyes. And he said these words to those men, be of good courage. I'm telling you, God can give you courage, men. You don't know how to be the man God's called you to be. You don't know how to love your wife like Christ loved the church. You don't know how to resist the effects of a unisex society. But you can do it if God will give you courage. You can be who God's called you to be if God will give you courage. And he will. I believe God will. He will strengthen you at your most difficult hour. And the King James Bible says these words, and let us, now speaking collectively to all the group, let us play the men for our people. And I saw that. I knew that was a word to me. I took that word and I searched it out in the Amplified Bible. And here's what this passage reads in the Amplified Bible. He said, be of good courage. Let us play the man for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seemeth good to him. So today, I didn't come with an eloquent charge today, but I come to join my faith to that of Joab, to look every man, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, whether you were from a godly family or a broken family, you've been on the sideline too long. This is your moment. This is your time. You were a bench warmer before, but the field's in front of you. God's calling you into active duty right now. Play the man. Be the man God's called you to be. Don't back away in fear. Don't allow unisex society to define you. Get your heart filled with the word of God. Stand up. Lift up your voice. Rise up. This is your hour. This is your moment. God's called you. Our nation needs you. Our church needs you. Our communities need you. And your families need you to rise up and be the men that God has called you to be. Hallelujah. Assume your role. My God, if I had a Hammond B3 organ, Leotis might come out today. I could feel him. If I was in that environment, I would already be challenging you to play the man. Because you got to, guys. You say, sometimes I, this is your moment. This is your hour. You may never get another opportunity like you're going to have right now to be who God's called you to be. We sang a song earlier that just challenged you and said this, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God's covered you by His grace. Quit making excuses. Quit saying, I can't do it. Quit saying, I can't lead my... Yes, you can. You can be who God's called you to be if you'll rise up and play the man. Glory to God. Daryl, join me on the platform as we prepare to close. Men of First Assembly, great crisis is upon us. Our culture has continued to degenerate. Families are fragmented and the family model has degenerated. But men, we need you to be who God has called you to be. We need you to love God with all your heart. You need to be passionate about Him. You need to be in pursuit of Him and run after God. I'm telling you, if you could ever know Jesus the way that He wants you to know Him, you'll be a bona fide Jesus freak. When you see the Father through the lens of Jesus, I'm telling you, it will change your life. you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You'll love your wife and your family. Come on, you'll be faithful to be the leader, the servant leader God has desired you to be. 
You'll learn to be accountable to other men. Brother, let me be your helper. Come on, that works both sides. If I need help, I reach out. If you need help, I need to be willing to reach out. Come on. If you're willing today to give a hand to a brother in need, then you'll have to extend it in just a moment. If you're willing to say, God, I need somebody to pray with me, then we're going to give you that opportunity. Men, when you're afraid, you just got to play the man. You just got to play the man. When you're tired, you got to play the man. When you're frustrated and confused, you got to just play the man. You just got to play the man. Say, God, if you'll help me, I can do this. God knows your weaknesses. He knows what you struggle with. He knows your inadequacies. He knows your failures. But I'll tell you what, God can take all those. He can add his great blessing, strengthen you. You know, if I'd have taken you deeper, verses 13 and 14, at least in this battle, they didn't even have to fight. Because once they flexed their spiritual muscles, the Syrians and the Ammonites saw those mighty men of valor coming at them in warfare, and they turned and fled. My God, if we'll just stand up. See, the enemy is an intimidator. He tries to say things to prevent you from taking and seizing your moment to be who God's called you to be. And I hear the voice of God echoing Joab's words today in the hearts of the men here today. And I know I preached a long time, and I do not apologize for it, guys. This is my moment. I prayed for this. I believe God wants you to be who God has called you to be. I can't force it in you or put it upon you, but you, you can submit yourself to God. If you submit yourself to God and submit yourself to other people, the Holy Spirit will rise up within you and give you a strength that you've never known before. Oh, how your family can change. How your relationship with your children and your spouse, or even if you're fragmented or if you're in divorce, it doesn't matter in that sense. You can still walk in love. You can be in the most difficult of situations and the power of God's grace and courage can come into your life. Can it? It can. I would like to have just a closing prayer with all the men here today. And I know it takes courage because when pastors preach overtime, I know that their men are already in their minds in the parking lot. They're on Searcy Street about to hit Main Street. I understand. But this is a moment. We're going to pray a closing prayer for you today and with you. Last year, I asked you to come forward, and I had a little gift for you that said, you know, mighty man of valor. Well, today, I've got one for you that just simply says, play the man. Play the man, 2 Samuel 10 and 12. So if you'll just wear that, just, you know, wherever you, whatever you're doing, maybe you'll look down and you'll remember this sermon when Pastor Brown challenged you to be the man God's called you to be. Scriptures will speak to your heart. Play the man. Be who God's called you to be. If we could stand up, man, I want to ask you. It takes a lot of courage. I want to come by. I want to pray with you first. And then I'm going to just come by and just give you one of those just man to man. I won't stop and pray with you.